Good morning, Saints. My name is Jake. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'll be reading from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's living word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, please let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and let it be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. Here today, sorry. I was singing a little bit too loud. I had this inner turmoil of whether I should sing louder and lose my voice for preaching or so uh let's just hope that God keeps my voice up for today cuz I I chose to sing loud. So, um just a, a quick announcement on the membership. Uh so uh Jake Jake brought that up. I wanted to clarify that a little bit. <clears throat> so my reason for the membership class um is because there's been a, quite a bit of interest of people who are interested in becoming members and committing to the church. And I wanted to give a quick plug plug for membership up here and it's why membership. And the reason is simply is that as pastors we want to know that you're under our care. Um, in today's day and age, I mean, when you look at the, the church in the, in the, um, you know, in the early church, you see the church of Ephesus or the church of Colossa, uh, Colossians, Colossia, Colossia. There you go. The church of Colossia, the church of Thessalonica. You see these kind of churches for a, a broader area. And so in those situations, if you were a Christian in Ephesus, you went to the church of Ephesus. You didn't go to, you know, this church or that church or another church. You went to the church of the city. Um, in today's, you know, day and age, it's totally different. Now we have two churches here in Cole Creek, or, you know, four churches here in Cole Creek Canyon. We've got churches just down the road. We've got churches everywhere. And so we can church hop very easily and we can go unnoticed and undetected. Um, you can go to a church like Flatirons, which is, I believe, at 30,000 right now. Um, you can go in and, and sit in the back and never be noticed. Um, you can go into churches of two to three thousand. You find those everywhere. And 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 the, the the scary thing about that is you can go from church to church and never be a part of it. You can go from church body to church body and never commit. And so that's something here at the chapel that we're very passionate about. Is we want every single person that attends this church regularly to be committed in a way that we know you're under our care. Um, because if, if you go from church to church to church, it's hard as pastors to know who am I responsible for? Who am I praying for? Who am I reaching out to when they don't show up? Because, you know, you don't want to get that phone call and say, Hey, we're, we missed you at church. You're like, well, I'm at a different church right now. And it's like, so again, that the, the reason for membership is we want to know that we are 
shepherds over your life. And Hebrews says, um, you know, basically care for, uh, pay attention to your, your shepherds because they are in charge over your soul. And we have to give an account before the Lord on how we, t- how we pastored you, on how we took care of you, and how we led you. And so that's a, that's a scary thing for pastors. And so, uh, we, we do that in a humble heart, in a heart that is reverent towards the Lord. And, uh, so just that, so if you are interested in membership, we are meeting downstairs in the children's church. And, uh, there, we are gonna be sitting in the small chairs. So, no, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll get that set up. Uh, so, but we'll be downstairs. We've got a ton of documentation that I've printed out that's available. You don't have to read it all if you don't want to, but, uh, I printed off the policies and procedures, and I also have bylaws and all those things. So if you want to get into that, um, we're going to be covering that. We've got two classes. So this week we're going to be going over, um, our, our statement of faith and also our governance and then, uh, talk about membership a little bit more. And then next week we're going to be talking about, or we're going to be sharing our testimonies. And those are two key aspects to membership is this is our policies and procedures, our bylaws and constitution. And then also um, this is, uh, you know, the, our testimonies. And as we share that, um, then after that we'll uh, go ahead and confirm our members the following Sunday. So Three Sundays from now, we will confirm our new members. So if you have not contacted me and you would like to be a part of this, uh, come. I've printed off ton, way too many pages of paper over the last couple of days. And so I've got a lot to hand out and a lot of people that I would like to, to get involved. So, um, And if you're just checking it out, still feel, feel free to stop by. So um, with that, let's go ahead and look at God's Word. And I want to give a quick overview because you're probably looking at, well, we're only doing... Three more verses today. How slow is Todd going to take us through the book of James? <laughs> but this is James' fault, so let's let's put the blame where it should be. Um, the reason why is I'm going to give you a quick overview of the book of James. Um, there was a guy who uh, I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, it's a uh, oh man, it, his name's not important. He's a commentator from the 20th century. I think it's uh, Diop. Oh, I'm, I'm going to ruin it, so I'm gonna, just going to keep going. Um, anyways, he said of the book of James that it was a a string of pearls. And when he was talking about the structure, he said, there is no structure. It's just kind of, it's Proverbs in the New Testament. It's just all these good sayings that are, that are tied together, but there's really no interconnection. Um, and I, I think that's totally wrong. And in fact, every commentator that I've read thinks that's totally wrong, but it got the conversation going of what is James's overall structure to this letter. And, um, there is a very, a clear structure, if you understand, he structures this entire letter around three points. And he introduces, so in verse one, he has his greeting. So it's, we know it's a letter because he says he's 12, greeting the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's talking to Jewish Christians who have been under his care at one point. And then he introduces three main themes. And the first is in two verse, or ch- chapter one, verses two through four. And that theme is trials. And then the next theme is five through five through eight, which is wisdom. And then today we're looking at his third theme, which is the rich and poor. And he introduces with these quick quick observations, and then he'll spend twelve verses 12 through 27 um, re-explaining these. And then he spends chapters 2 through 5 really, really unpacking these things, really explaining these things. So he hits these three themes three times. So trials, wisdom, rich and poor. And he unpacks, and then he unpacks some more. That rhymed. Um, and so 
when we get past this verse 11, we're going to be moving a little bit quicker because he's in, we've introduced all three topics, and then we're going to be looking at these in depth. So that gives you some kind of understanding and structure to put the letter of James in. And, and as we're preaching, and, or as I'm preaching, and as we're going through this message, I encourage you to read ahead. Read, read and see what he says about the next topic. Um, for example, 12 through 18, he talks about trials again. And he explains... He goes a little bit more and unpacks a little bit more of what he said in the, in verses two through four, and then in verses um, then, then when he gets to chapter or verses nineteen through twenty seven he hits on wisdom again, and then in verse twenty seven he introduces pure religion, which is the thesis statement of this letter and I know this I, I'm sharing this because I'm not trying to lose you in outline and all those things, but it's helpful for us to understand, okay, where are we going, and what is his argument here, and what does it look like so with that. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with wheat, with what fell from the rich's man, rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send me Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and in flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Before I explain that, let's open up in prayer. Father, today we approach a topic that uh, is so prevalent and real in our lives. The relationship between the rich and the poor, Lord, something that is so dear to your heart. God, you hate when the lowly are despised. You hate when the rich look down on the poor. You hate when we do not meet the needs of those around us. Why? Because you are a God that has a heart for the poor, for the destitute, for the outcast. In fact, you have chosen the poor, to receive your kingdom, to be inheritors of all that you have promised. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, as we talk about this today, as we work through this, that we would be honest before you, 
that we would look at our lives in a way that where we're not trying to justify our possessions or justify um, the the fact that we just enjoy our things, Lord. But I pray that we would allow your word to speak to us. God, I pray that lives would be changed today. That each one of us would look at our lives differently as we leave here. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I'm going to put Jesus' story in modern day times. Um, and as I was thinking about it, the one person that kept coming to mind is uh, Donald Trump. And uh, so just picture his hairpiece. That's not a hairpiece, a comb over. And uh, just... I want you to picture Trump Tower because this is the setting of my story. Because in Jesus' story, we have two characters. We have the rich man who's wearing fine purple clothes, and he eats sumptuously. He eats whenever he wants. He, he's, a, he's a very uh, full person. Um, and then you have a second character who is poor, who is in dirty clothes, who has sores. He's covered in sores, and in fact, the dogs come and lick his sores. And don't, when you think dogs coming to lick your sores, don't think of, you know, your dog at home that's nice and clean and, and, you know, gets a bath. I mean, my dog doesn't get baths as often as it should, but, you know, think of a dirty, mangy, just disgusting dog coming and licking your sores, and it's not making it better. He's not cleaning your wounds. It, it, it's just, it's a gross situation, and the second character is, is in a really bad state. And so you've got these two characters, and I'm going to bring it to present day. You've got Donald Trump in his nice purple shirt, and I'm not trying to hit against Monty's purple shirt, but you've got Donald Trump in his nice purple shirt, eating whenever he wants, driving the car he likes in Trump Tower, and then picture a homeless, destitute beggar who sees him every day, who sits at front of Trump Tower and says, as Donald Trump walks in every single day, Monday through Friday, he probably gets weekends off, maybe more, and as he comes in, the beggar says, Donald, please help me. I need your help. My family is starving. I I, I try to find work. I haven't been able to get work. I I just need something. And, And Donald every day does what we often do and just doesn't even look. Just ignores the person and walks by. Goes about his business. And that continues over and over and over again. And then one day as Donald Trump's driving to Trump Tower, he hits this homeless person. And as he tries to get control of his Mercedes-Benz, he goes into oncoming traffic and hits a car head-on. And in that one moment, Donald Trump and this beggar die. Now, at this moment, I'm going to stop using Donald Trump because I don't want to talk about, I don't know Donald Trump's eternal destiny, and I hope and pray that he uh, receives Jesus if he hasn't already. I don't think he has, just by his lifestyle, but I pray that he receives Jesus and goes to heaven. So I'm going to start referring to a general rich man from here on. So you have someone like a Donald Trump, someone who had everything that this life had to offer. They had they had their TV show, they had their nice car, they had everything they ever wanted. And then you have a beggar who, just think of downtown, just think of the beggars that you run across downtown. You have someone who never had anything that they needed. They, they, they were constantly despised and rejected, and the world looked down on them, and in fact the world ignored them. And both of these people died in one instant. And so when the beggar dies... An angel comes and takes him into the presence of Christ. He is now at the right hand of God. He is in heaven, in perfect joy, perfect satisfaction. He is reigning and ruling with Christ. But where's the rich man? The rich man is in Hades, a place of torment. He 
Everything he had is now gone, and, and he's standing in a place where there, it's, it's clearly full of fire, he's full of anguish, and he's in torment, and he calls out to the poor man who is now at the right hand of Jesus and says, please, please give me relief from this torment. And Jesus responds and says, do you not remember the way you treated this beggar? Do you not remember the blessings that you had? And how you wasted your life on earthly possessions and ignored those in need. And he says, there, there is a great chasm between us and that will never be gapped. You've, you've made your decision. For all eternity, you will be separate from me. And so the rich man now realizes his present situation. He's, he thinks of his family and he says, Jesus, please, please go and save my family. Please send the beggar back. Raise him from the dead in the way that CNN and NBC and all these news stations see it. And they, they put it on television and they're saying, please, look, look, look at this rich, this poor man who has been raised back to the dead and, and send him to my family so that he can warn of this terrible place that I'm now in. And Jesus says, I've already sent my church. I was already raised from the dead and no one believed. I've purchased a bride who is my witness. And you walked by that church and when you heard, when you heard the gospel presentation time after time after time, you ignored. And so even if I were to raise that beggar back to life, they wouldn't listen. If they didn't listen to my son, if they don't listen to his bride, the church, they wouldn't listen to a beggar who was risen back from the dead. In fact, they'd probably explain it away with natural sight. You know, they'd say, oh, this isn't a miracle. This is, he was just in a sleep state or in a deep coma. They would explain it away. And so you see this situation where the rich and the poor will both die. And I, and I present this to us today because right now, Every person that has ever lived has died. Except, and one who had died has risen again, that's Jesus. But I want us to see our limitedness. I want us to see how the fact that we're finite, that the fact that death awaits us all. And I'm saying this not to scare us, but to, to take a second to account for what we have in our life and what we've done and ask ourselves, are we being good stewards with the things we've been given? And are we looking at those things as crutches? As things that actually distract from our love of God, distract from our desire to be with Him. And so that's what James wants us to look at today is the rich and the poor, both in the midst of trials, are humbled. They're leveled. The, the poor are actually to boast in their exaltation, meaning that they forget their poverty in the midst of trials and they boast in their standing in Christ and the rich are brought down and they forget their riches in the midst of trials and they stand on a level playing field before the Lord. And so with that, let's look at James again. Turn back to James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. 
because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So first let's look at the lowly believer. So the lowly believer is one in humble circumstances. And I want to paint this picture because oftentimes I think we label ourselves incorrectly. I'm going to paint James's picture of a lowly believer and what he meant by this. So if you do any study on the book of James into the background under the history of this book, you'll realize, remember, he's writing to people who are dispersed. They're impoverished. They're under persecution. And in fact, we kind of get some hints that the majority of them were likely uh, agricultural day laborers under oppressive landowners. And so think of that system where you've got kind of the lords and, and everyone else. And so you've got these people who are on the run. They're hated because they are followers of Christ and they have no possessions and they just are day laborers and, and they're struggling. And then also in Acts 11, verse 28 through 29, I've got this on the, uh, on the screen behind me. We read, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to brothers living in Judea. And so if you're familiar with the book of Acts and you're familiar with the ministry of Paul, what is he doing as he goes from church to church? What is his, what, 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 what is that one thing that keeps him driving? It's to bring relief to the Christians in Jerusalem because they are struggling. They're impoverished. They're, they, they have no finances. There's a, there's a famine that's hit the land. And Paul is going from church to church seeking to get relief to take back to these people that we're talking about. And so these people, the lowly brother, the person that James is trying to encourage, are those who are impoverished. They, they are hungry. They don't have clothes. Or if they do have clothes, they're shabby and they're they're disgusting. They're covered in sores, so they're, they're they don't, they don't have good hygiene. They can't clean themselves. They're they're in very bad places. And so I want us to to remember that this person is likely not many of us in this room, the lowly brother or sister. Again, I want us to think of the lowly brother or sister as the person in downtown Denver who's on 16th Street Mall who sleeps outside all the time day in and day out with the food that they shouldn't they, the food that they need but they don't have the clothes that they're wearing but they're they're falling apart in tatters this is the kind of person we should be picturing as the lowly brother or sister and that's not to say i want to point this out even though many of us and i think i could say probably all of us are in good circumstances we do struggle and i don't want to take away from that we do have situations where we can't pay the bills and situations where we you know we we might lose our job um financially we go through hard times but just remember how blessed we are and the fact that we aren't the lowly brother or sister we're someone who God has richly blessed but with that comes the possibility that we might start to look to our riches as our comfort. We might stop looking to Christ's independence and we start might, we might start looking to our 401k or our stock options or our tax return if you get a tax return. I know not everyone gets a tax return. Um, you, you might start looking to the comforts of this world 
rather than to what God has to offer. And so this lowly brother or sister is to exalt or to boast in their exaltation. And the question is, is why? How can someone who has nothing, who's despised by, who people ignore, think of the beggar, who people walk by every day and they don't even give this person a second thought. How could James tell that person to boast in their exaltation? What do they have to exalt about? That's the question we should have as we're reading. What, What does this person have that we would want? And the question is, is they have a spiritual status that if you don't have, you should long for, you should desire. Because this person, if they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, though they have nothing, they are a child of God. They know and have a relationship with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords. They are no longer the outcast, but they are adopted into God's family and they can go to the Father. They can enter into His courts and say, Abba, Father, listen to me. And you know what the King of Kings, you know what God does in response? Speak. I'm waiting. I'm listening. Think about the contrast there. Think about the lowly brother on this side of heaven, who, st- who sits at Trump, at the base of Trump Tower and begs for people, please give me something so that I can feed my family. And now think of his circumstance at that present time that that same person can go to Jesus with boldness and God will listen to him. While, while these people passing him and ignoring him or her don't listen, he can go, he or she can go to God and say, God, I need help. And guess what? God listens. God pays attention. Is that not something to boast in? And moreover, and I, and I, I was thinking of, uh, Prince William as I was thinking of inheritance. So if that's weird to you, you know, I don't follow them like everyone does, you know, with baby, you know, Kate and the baby and all that stuff. But anyways, think about Prince William and think about how fortunate he is in the, in the eyes of the world. You know, monarchies in the Western world aren't very, uh, typical anymore. But in England, they still have a king and a queen, and they still have a large inheritance, a large estate for the princes to receive. And so you have Prince William, who is next in line, I believe. If, if you're an expert at this, correct me after the service or send me an email. But I believe Prince William is next in line to inherit the estate, to inherit the kingdom. But you know what's amazing? Is the beggar who has placed their faith in Christ has an even greater inheritance than Prince William. And he has a greater hope. And let me define that word hope real quick. Because Prince William has a hope that's not assured, right? He could die. They could lose everything. England could come under attack and the monarchy gets destroyed and who knows what could happen. So Prince William has a desire to receive his inheritance But the beggar has a hope that cannot be taken away. When when the Bible uses the word hope, it's an assured thing. It's, It's something that you can take to the bank. No one, nothing can take it away. And so this beggar has a hope that not even Prince William has. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. 
And if you're a highlighter, a highlighter, um, highlight this, underline it. I just noticed in my in my ESV translation, the title for this section is "Born Again to a Living Hope." In verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Does that not speak so powerfully to this text that we're studying today? You have a hope that is imperishable, that is being reserved for you. And though you experience trials today, you look to that hope that is tomorrow in full assurance knowing that God is reserving that hope for you. That your inheritance is sure. And again, think of the beggar. Think about what kind of hope this would give to someone that has no hope. To a, to a person that is just outcast. To a person that's despised. To people who don't even recognize their humanity. And think about James's words. And just imagine him writing to you in that circumstance saying, it's going to be okay. God is here. God will take care of you. Though no one looks at you, though no one gives you anything, or if they do, it's out of pity, God loves you and will provide for everything you need. See how hopeful that is? How amazing that is? And now we get to the hard part. I think the thing that's going to apply to a, a lot of us in here, I know it is for me, In verse 10. So James 1 verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now there's a little bit of debate, not much, about whether this is a rich Christian or rich non-believer. And the reason why most commentators, and I, I agree with this, believe this is talking about a rich Christian is because James doesn't seem to be using satirical, you know, sarcasm in a way that is supposed to say, hey, boast in your humiliation. Um, and also, there there is a genuineness to saying, no, no, if you are rich, you need to boast in your humiliation. You need to be happy the fa- at the fact that God is bringing you down. And so you have to ask that question, why? And so if you want to do more research in that, you can read some commentaries. But I'm going to be preaching from the stance that this is referring to a rich brother or sister because it speaks so powerfully at what he's getting at. Because as you read through this letter, you see James speaks with a very harsh, accusative tone at times. He's mad in a lot of this area, in a lot of this letter. He's looking at a people who claim to be followers of Christ, but who are ignoring the poor person who comes into their midst. They favor the rich person and, and, and they give the rich person, and we're going to get to this in chapter two, they give the rich person the place of honor and favor in, in their assembly. And at the poor person, they say, you sit down by my feet. 
We're not going to give you any kind of, and these are Christians we're talking about. These are people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ looking at a poor person saying, you sit down here, we're going to favor this person because they're rich. And so picture James, the brother of Jesus, looking at a church that is favoring the rich and saying, how dare you favor the rich over the poor? And I want to get this through to us because so often, and I'm preaching to myself, so often we fall into the world's ways and favor the rich over the poor. Even among ourselves, we we look at those people who are more highly esteemed and we're going to invest more time in them than those who are less esteemed and are down and out. We should be the opposite. We should be focused on the poor. We should be caring for those who are in need. And we should love them. And we should ask the rich, hey, you're rich, that's awesome. You can give to this person. Come over here. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how powerful this is? And so... James is saying the rich must boast in their humiliation. And, and I think this applies to most of us, if not all of us in here. And so we need to see what is he saying for us to boast in our humiliation? Because when we say the word humiliation, that's humiliating, right? I, I would never boast in my humiliation because that's humiliating. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, an American. I, I live the, I live my dream and I, and I've got my white picket fence and I got my truck and my, I'm starting to sound like a southern, I will stop. Um, anyways, the reason why a rich person is supposed to boast in their humiliation is because those riches can become their hope. Their riches that, you know, that you, you look at your car. You got a brand new 2015, probably 2016 here really soon because they come out way too early. But you look at your brand new car and you say, I'm good. I got a car that's going to last. It's going to take me where I need to go. It's going to get me from point A to B. And I can plug in my iPhone or my Android or whatever phone device you use and it works perfect. I'm good there. And then oh, I got house insurance. I got homeowner's insurance. If anything happens, I'm good here. And okay, I got my 401k. That's all set up. If any, you know, when I retire, I'm ready to go. And you know, just fill in the blank. We've got all of our assurances and all these things, and I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad, but when they become evil is when they become our hope. When we stop looking to God as our sustainer and we start looking to those things. And again, this is we, we need to keep this in mind that we're talking about trials here. We're talking about something that when trials come and they will come, where are you going to look to for hope? Where are you going to look to for comfort? Like Job, are you going to fall on your knees and look to God and say, says, and say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord and worship Him. Or are you going to, when trials come, say, okay, I've got everything in place for this. I've got, I've got the right friends over here. I've got the money set aside over here. I've got all this taken care of. And the problem is, is when you do that, when you've got your, you know, your, your kingdom set up and you're ready for this attack or this trial, those things will fail you miserably. They will leave you wanting. And the worst part is, is they might fulfill you for a little bit. And during that time, you're not going to be looking to God at all. And that's why as Christians, we must boast in our humiliation. Because our humiliation brings us back to Christ. And that is key. In Psalm 49, verses 16 through 17, Psalmist writes, 
Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. And as I was reading this, I thought of, uh, you know, have you ever seen a hearse followed by a U-Haul? You know, someone dies and they say, okay, we got to get a U-Haul. We got to get all of this put together because we got to take this to the grave because this guy needs the stuff in heaven. Is that what happens? No. There's nothing following behind the hearse except for mourners. People who have felt the sting of death and they say, we've lost something. There's no U-Haul or Penske if you prefer that. Um, And that's important because what happens to all of your possessions after you die? You get dispersed. Oftentimes your family will fight each other for them. Um, You've got no hope in any of those possessions because they will just disappear. They will fade and that's what we're about to get into. I want to say at this point, the only lasting thing that we have is Jesus. He is the man of sorrows, but through him, we have an everlasting hope. When we accept Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we have a hope that is imperishable. That inheritance that I read in First Peter is applied to you. A, a, a spot in heaven is reserved for you when you accept Jesus, the man of sorrows who was the par excellence person who was despised and rejected by men. He was hated. I want to read Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 6 because this is an amazing picture. And if you'll notice, this is in the Old Testament, by the way, which just shows how powerful prophecy is. And if you haven't read Isaiah 53 in a while, I encourage you to do it because it is um, such a powerful, powerful passage. But I'm going to start in Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I could keep going, but the point is, this is the man who has purchased our hope. This is the man who said, foxes have holes, I have no home. He was homeless. Jesus was homeless. He was despised. He had nothing by world standards. So when Jesus sees us treating the lowly with contempt and disrespect, what does that say about us. What does that say about him? Do you see why the riches and the poor, the relationship between the two is so important to James and to Jesus and to God? It's because Jesus is the example of one who was totally despised and hated by this world, yet he was and is 
the king of kings. He came and no one recognized him. No one recognized that this is Prince William, so to say. This is a better version of Prince William. This is God. I mean, I, I can't, I, I still think Prince William's son's, you know, not that attractive, but he gets tons of a press, tons of press. You know, there, I, I watch on CNN, it's like ISIS and then uh, the, the, the state of the government and then like pictures of the baby. And I ask myself, what, what is going, but now look at Jesus. When Jesus, the King of Kings was born, was there press and fanfare around that? No. No one even recognized his birth except for those who God had revealed. And so I want us to see this contrast. And so now in verse 11, so flip back to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And what I want you to see here in a perfect picture of this is Solomon. Picture Solomon who had everything. You know, he called it vanity. And this is based on Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. And the, the picture is, is that life is fleeting. It's fast. And it's gone in a second. We just had a funeral a couple weeks ago. Missy's life was fast. And it was fleeting. But she spent it well. She lived in accordance with God's word. She lived for his glory. And she stewarded, steward, stewarded her time well. And these flowers that James is referring to would have been common knowledge if you were in Israel during this time. You would have realized these flowers bloomed from February to May. A very quick season. They were beautiful when they were around, but they faded quickly. And so people would have understood, especially based on Isaiah 40, that what James is saying, and let me read this back into it, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It falls and its beauty perishes. Life is fleeting. It is fast. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And again, when we read the word rich man or rich woman, don't think of that person out there. Don't think of the Donald Trump. Don't think of the, you know, Howard Schultz. Don't think of, you know, fill in the blank CEO or person that you look up to who has a lot of money. Think of yourself. The rich person in the midst of their pursuits will pass away. And the last thing I would want for anyone in this church is to pass away in the midst of their pursuits. Their pursuits, not his pursuit. Don't spend all your time thinking about your financial situation. Yes, we need to be wise and we need to plan and we need to be faithful stewards with the things God's given us. But think about how can I use what God's given me in a way that glorifies Him? And in context here, how can I use what God's given me to bless the poor? To go out and care for those who have nothing. Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew 25 when He's talking about the separation between the goats and the sheep. The sheep, you can't pluralize sheep, sheeps, sheep. Um, when he separates the two, what's his criteria? Do you remember? These are the ones, the sheep are the ones who visited me while I was in prison. They were the ones who fed me when I was hungry. They're the ones who clothed me when I had nothing. Well, 
They say that in response, Jesus, when did I see you? I, I never saw you. You never came to my home. You never fed me. Uh, or you were never hungry and I fed you. you. You know, you were never in prison and I visited you. And Jesus says, what? To the least of these that you did to your brothers or sisters, you've done to me. Point being, when we care for brothers and sisters who are impoverished and who are down and out, we're caring for Christ. We are loving those whom Christ loves dearly. And so we need to think, don't think of the rich person as that person out there on TV. Think of the rich person as, I'm the rich person. I'm the rich one that God's talking to that's being called to love my brothers and my sisters, to care for them. And so when we enter trials, remember that trials, you can't get out of trials through finances. If you lose the loved one, it hurts just as much whether you're rich or you're poor. When you're diagnosed with cancer, it hurts just as much as whether you're rich or poor. When you, you know, when your, when your health goes, or, or just again, fill in the blank, when trials come, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Now the rich might lean on their riches to get through the trial, but that'll be fleeting and that'll, that, that'll fail them miserably. So in fact, the rich are in a worse state, in my opinion, because they have things to look to besides Christ. But the poor person, when trials come, they don't have anything else but to look to Christ. And so we need to see trials as the ultimate leveling experience. It raises the, the poor up in the fact that they forget about their poverty and it brings the rich down because they forget about their riches. And in Hebrews 4.16, the author says, let us, again, I, I want to pull, draw this out, let us, he makes no distinction between whether rich or poor, he just says us. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of, to help in times of need. When we come to Christ and when we come to him in prayer, God doesn't prioritize based on our status. God doesn't look at the prayer of a rich man and say, okay, I need to answer his first before I get to the prayer of a poor man. No, when we come to God, we come on equal planes. We come as sinners in need of a Savior, in need of salvation, and we are in desperate need of that. We are in desperate need of His grace and His mercy, and one does not need it more than the other. And so when we come to Him, we need to see it as equal level, uh, equal field. Every person in this room is on an equal field in their walk with God. We don't value certain people more than others. Because we are all in need of a Savior. And with that, we're going to close with Jeremiah 9. So Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What are we to boast in? What are we to boast in? Yeah, God. Knowing God is what we are to boast in. And 
in the men's group, we watched a, uh, a film of John Piper, and I wanted to end with this because it was powerful. John Piper is doing a series that we're watching called Satisfied in Christ, or it's, it's being satisfied in Christ. And he talks about how being satisfied in Christ is not an option. It's not an add-on to the gospel. When we, when we call ourselves Christians, we don't say, well, we believe the gospel and, and in addition, you know, sometimes I'm satisfied in Christ. According to Piper, and I completely agree, being a Christian is to be satisfied in Christ. We are not to boast in anything but in our relationship with Christ. And he had this picture. He pulled up a, uh, 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 um, oh, help me, Monty, what was it? Uh, an ad, an ad for a granola bar. And on the ad, there was a man standing on top of uh, one of those really steep kind of rock faces, a cliff, and he was standing on top, you know, arms raised. And it said, I've never felt so alive. I've never felt so insignificant. And that's a secular, Piper pointed this out, he said, that's a secular article. Why is it that secular people realize that to be truly alive is to be truly insignificant? Why is it that when people stand on a mountain cliff and they look at how small they are, that that just makes them alive? And it's because we were made for more. We were made to behold God's greatness We were made to see his surpassing value. And whether you're rich or poor, that's what you were created for. To see God's glory in a way that blows you away. In a way that shows you your insignificance in compared to his significance. And so that's why Jeremiah says, do not boast in anything you have to bring to the table. Boast in him. Because he is the only thing worth having. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we pray so desperately that none of us act as the rich person who ignores the needs of the poor, who acts as the rich person who looks to their own resources and plans and and intellect and all those things as their sustaining grace. Lord, I pray that we would look to you alone, that every person in this room, whether rich or poor, would look to you as their sole source of salvation, as their only hope. God, I I confess, both individually and corporately, Lord, that we have not looked to the needs of the lowly. God, in my own life, I so easily don't have time to care about those who you care about. Um, I'm, I'm so caught up in my own situation and my own issues that I forget to have your eyes when I pass by the homeless person that needs my help. If not financially, Lord, they need my prayers. They need the message of hope that I have inside. God, may we never ignore the plight of the lowly. And God, may we never become so prideful in our excess that we forget our total depravity apart from you. So Lord, I I pray as we come to the table now that we would uh, just be honest with ourselves, Lord, that we would uh, not look to anything but your Son as our eternal hope. We pray this in his name. Amen.